Journeys in and Out of Sect podcast, a show about the sun and how astrologers embody and relate to it. My name is S.P. Hall, and I'm your host. In today's episode on the Scorpio sun as the luminary out of sect, I speak with my friend, the astrologer E.Y. Washington. I'm really excited to be dropping the second episode of my sun series, which will continue for the next year. For new listeners, please go back and listen to the moon series that I've been doing over the last year, where I spoke to different astrologers about their moon sign. I was really grateful to have EY back on the podcast as he was one of my first guests for my moon series. He was actually also the first person for which I ever gave a reading, which was a real honor. So this is a special episode for me. Thanks again, EY, for coming back on the show. As always, if you enjoy the work that I'm doing, please contribute to the podcast's sustainability by becoming a supporting member or offering a one-time donation on my website. There you can also find information on my services. I'm offering needle and timing consultations as well as answering horary questions. I hope you enjoy the conversation. All right, EY Washington, thank you so much for coming back on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It is a it is a delightful Sunday morning. I don't have work until way later today, so this is this is lovely. I get to have coffee with a friend and talk about um I think one of the um craziest signs on earth. <laughs> mhm. Wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, for those who are watching and listening, it is uh, Sunday, November 12th. We started recording around 11.45 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and EY, you are a Scorpio, so you just had your solar return. Happy birthday to I you. I did. Thank you. About t- a few weeks ago. Um, happy birthday. How, how has the recent astro weather been for you uh, during the Scorpio season, this eclipse season? Um How's it going? Yeah, eclipses. I feel like this has been the the astro weather as of late has been astro weather that has taken me by surprise. Um, and I can't tell if that's surprise because I'm not paying attention, or that, or, or rather, I'm not paying as close attention as I have in the past. Um, or if it's taking me by surprise because things are just manifesting in ways that are um, um, unexpected, right? Like I think the thing about eclipse that makes them so like. Ah! is that there it is it is difficult to expect accurately um you kind of just see them both on whatever axis on and just cross your fingers and hunker down for daylight mm-hmm. um um with the eclipses uh that uh took me quite by surprise well, it's actually funny that you brought up the eclipses because they're happening on my scorpio taurus axis which is my second and eighth i'm a libra rising um and my yeah experience... so for 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 watchers i'm just sharing your chart right now so do you get a sense of uh libra rising with the sun in scorpio in the second house um yeah moon in uh capricorn mm-hmm. love her barely um um <laughs> but the uh the eclipses were happening in my second and my eighth and my experience um up until now has been that usually usually when eclipses happen it's like a it's like the um it's like the board surges right and there's a huge surge of energy and then something happens after that surge and mm-hmm. so my usual experience with that is that eclipses happen on that axis and um i will come into extremely large amounts of money mm-hmm. and then i will come out of extremely large amounts of money <laughs> in a in a, and it will happen i mean when i tell you overnight um 
the this time last year when we were having clips on this access i came into i did a, pro, a, a theater project and, and came into three thousand dollars quite unexpectedly from that project like they paid me much sooner than i anticipated my car mm-hmm. broke down it was hellish i used that three thousand to buy another car and i had a new car and no money until i got paid the next day like it's like that kind of thing is what happens to me what was interesting to me about this current eclipse um uh th- this eclipse that was happening on scorpio tourist access is that at the time or when I have experienced that in the past, there's always been something else, either on the fixed angles or by transit or uh, um, in the cardinal angles, really um, uh, interacting with the eclipses in a way that I think made that really apparent. This is the first time that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I still came into a big amount of money, but it was, I mean, I knew all that money was coming in. I came into that big amount of money and then, um, uh, uh, the money, the money went where it was supposed to go. It did, however, leave in ways that were not as unexpected and life changing as like, oh, your car broke down. You live in California, so now you gotta buy a new car, right? Like it wasn't that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But like that's how the eclipses were. And then transit wise, um, you know, pro tip: always look at your ascendant ruler and. Um, you know, it was Vedas Founds that famously said, "We don't practice astrology so that we be so that we can um, change the 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 anything. We can't. We don't have the power to do that, right? But it, so that we're prepared for the the fate that's coming, so that we can be we can be. Uh, I believe the phrase he uses is soldiers of our own fate. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and it is the way that I uh, highly suggest that if you know what your rising sign is and you know the the planet that corresponds with that sign just check out what's going on with that planet if you need mm-hmm. help we're here um we're affordable um if you if you if you did check it out um because venus was in virgo which is is for me a i don't want to say catch 22 but is a um is a mixed bag because it's seeing you know transiting venus is seeing my moon and no mm-hmm. one really sees her in the way that she likes to be seen mm. um um wise so that can be pretty nice um or, or rather um i always find like these unexpected surprises um when venus is in my 12th and uh and sort of uh in conversation with my moon mm. however um, this last, or rather this particular Venus and Virgo stint um, was not, I, I did not anticipate how um, um, insular it, it felt. Yeah. Um, I did not anticipate, and I, and I usually don't, I mean, in my memory, um, I don't really, I don't really remember other transits feeling that way but it, it was like i mean we're talking about this for the shit started, but like prior to now i was on this like six month runaway train of like ten thousand different things and i was just involved with a lot of networks of not just like random people but like people who i consider family mm-hmm. um and then when that six month runaway train ended um and it ended with a trip to new york right the, the um it's something interesting about the kate and house is that they all um uh all of the cadent houses deal with um uh i hesitate to say travel because um uh, like obviously if they're in the ninth or travel the sixth and the twelfth 
in some ways deal with displacement Mm -hmm. and deal with the ways that we our relationship to other places i think um one astrologer i forget who but one astrologer um uh suggested that the sixth um uh or rather the the twelfth is banishment and the sixth is exile um Mm -hmm. in regards to that particular thing and i think that's really uh a, a yummy uh thought to chew on but anyway um when i immediately when i came back from um a trip to new york which kind of ended the six-month marathon i was like oh i I came back and was immediately um removed from those networks um Mm. and i was like oh in some ways i feel like i have been banished uh, at least socially and not from any malicious thing just because the, the 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 work that brought us all together ended um and so that was um surprising to me i didn't anticipate feeling um that but but now she's in she's in libra and i'm feeling um uh, desirable and um (laughs) flirty and all the things that come with venus being in her home sign Mm, yeah we love that for you and it's it's interesting talking about community venus going retrograde this summer in your 11th of community Mm -hmm. um and the trine that that would make to your natal Venus and Sag and your third. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we get Venus in fall in the 12th and you you talk about the insularity with that and you get the square with your natal Venus, which is more tense, more difficult. And now we're back to, you know, Venus in her day domicile of Libra, you know, conjoined or or having conjoined your Jupiter your ascendant and making that sextile, which is the aspect of Venus, this positive kind of nice, very, you know, you talk about attraction and feels very uh, unifying the sextile. Yeah. 100%. It's funny that you, you said um, uh, retrograde. I, I I think of when Venus is retrograde and Leo for what felt like eternity. Um, it, retrogrades are so funny to me. Um, and by funny, I mean, um, um by funny i mean i mean without getting into the weeds of it all mm-hmm. i am my practice takes um this ancient thing and tries to l- reconcile this ancient thing with um essentially queer theory um and like socialist pos- politics right mm-hmm. um and and so like when and particularly like the 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 a, a, a queer idea i run with which comes from jack halberstam um from their um exceptional book the the um the uh queer art of failure mm-hmm. um is that how do we use failure as a um um as a response to the exploitative notions of success mm. um in our culture and and yada da, da, da. Um, there's a really wonderful quote in there where he where he says that um, um, uh, queer people fail well, fail often, and fail together, mm. and um, and that these paths of failure are are quite DIY, um, but they are also um, they take us to places and 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 um uh result in experiences that we may not have had had we not had to go down that route and so looking at a chart and looking at things that we have you know um by and large, I'm, I'm specifically thinking of electional in this with this in this context right like 
we look at electional if we want something to happen or well, if we want something good to happen in a particular way there are just things we avoid we avoid fucked up moons we avoid retrograde planets we avoid you know things too close to the nodes we avoid et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. um we avoid using certain houses we avoid things being in certain houses um and we suddenly um i don't know and there's just things we just avoid and right. um i by and large or rather the prime the the practice or rather the branch of astrology I work with the most is natal astrology. And so thankfully that means I don't have the pressure of having to evaluate a chart that way. Like I'm, I'm fine doing it and and have no problem doing it with other people, but it means that when I look at a planet that's retrograde, I can't make the same value judgment that I would as an electional astrologer. I can't make the same evaluation I would as a horary astrologer, right? Mm -hmm. I can't make the same evaluation I would as a um, mundane astrologer, right? That it's like, how does this retrograde planet, for example, function in other people's life and function in practical and maybe not so practical ways we're talking about retrograde after all. And I just can't help but think about how can we take this failure right in our chart that's baked into the sky that's living in our body and, and whatever, whatever. How can we take that failure and turn it into a path that means we're failing well, failing often, failing together? Um, and when I think of retrograde, sorry, that was a, a big, long Mercury's and Sagittarius. Um, <laughs> um, when I think about retrogrades, I I think of um, two things. Uh, the first thing, kind of the most important thing, I think it's a planet's. Um, it, it in some ways a retrograde feels like a a a. Um, a check and a balance who put the check and the balance there i don't know maybe new mm-hmm. who knows but this check and this balance that says hey planet you need to go back and be um this is a, this is an opportunity this retrograde is an opportunity for you to make good on promises you weren't able to keep mm. and when that venus retrograde was happening i was just noticing in in an 11th house way in 11th house functions like there were some things that um uh, I don't know, Venus went, and said, oh, let me go back and look. we're going to go look right. at that thing, right. um, which resulted in me moving to San Diego and me um, um, coming into more teaching work, which I thought I wasn't going to be doing, um, and was just really some delightful 11th house stuff that kind of um, things that, I don't know, there's something to be said about retrograde moments, Um being ripe for terrible things, awful things, terrible, terrible, awful things, and also um, being ripe for moments where you go, oh yeah, that thing that I wanted that I forgot about mm. has now come about. Um, and I, I I do wonder um, if it's because those these little wandering stars are going back and saying, oh yeah, I dropped the ball on that. Let me go back and figure that out. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for for explaining all that and for sharing oh, of your experience. Uh, I do want to say that the eclipse experience that you talked about last year with making money and yeah. having your car go haywire, you actually explained that because I realized we probably recorded the first episode I recorded with you was about your Capricorn moon. You were one of the it first was. people on the podcast. I think you were episode mm. three or four. Uh-huh of the podcast and um you told me about that story and so it's interesting to hear you kind of rephrase it again and compare it to this eclipse now, cycle that just happened yeah. yeah um so i just want to give that episode a shout out and just say for people who are interested in learning more about you uh we really get into like your moon sign and 
aspects that your moon makes and and things of that nature in that so people can can also go back and, and listen to that um but before we move on to the conversation about the sun i was hoping that you can give us kind of like a for new listeners uh, a, a reintroduction to ey washington so can you tell us a bit more about your practice and um yeah all that good stuff absolutely so kind of like i said earlier my practice um looks at astrology um in a way that says uh, I, I don't know i think there's a way that we can we can look at astrology and we can say you know for example you have the sun in taurus and that means blank um and something i've been playing about something that we'll talk about later um <laughs> is this notion of like what do we actually know what mm. do we not know right and like in particular with astrology i think it's really easy to, to look at a chart and go oh yeah that's da, 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 da. right um um i've looked at this i've looked at this map of the heavens and now i know all about all the secrets of the universe and it's like oh okay buddy um but i i actually think that there's there's so much room to play I, i'm not remembering who said this but some lovely author said that you have to oh it was um Michael Shaben, Michael Shaben, um, in his uh, essay collection Maps and Legends, talks about um, all of these like Disney remakes, right? And mm-hmm. how um, none of them really get any traction. He's specifically talking about the remakes that involved um, like Disney, like essentially like Disney villain origin stories, like the craze that was that. And he said it's a shame that they're doing this because they're they're foreclosing on a really specific blind spot and a really specific gray area that belongs to the imagination of the people engaging with your work mm-hmm. that you have to leave enough room for the imagination for your audience to want more that's true mm-hmm. of all art but specifically storytelling specifically writing and i think that the chart is the same way too that it doesn't give us um i mean uh, and it's so tricky because like like I can say with my whole chest, it doesn't give us specific information right? and then look at our entire ancient, you know, background and go, oh, they were like determining gender of babies and and finding mm. very specific lost objects and things like that. But like, I think by and large, I think I can say with most of my chest that like, particularly with natal astrology and particularly with people, um, we're given broad strokes and right. the fine strokes can't come from us. Mm-hmm. Um, as astrologers and um and we have to leave room for the imagination so they can fill in the blank right um mm-hmm. i think everyone has a, a, a some kind of story with right and then uh a consultation that went south mm-hmm. um and, and south because no one was filling in that gap and, and sometimes i think there's this expectation right. that we're supposed to like we the astrologers want to fill in that gap sometimes i, I think, think we let them mm-hmm, if i may i think the beautiful thing about natal astrology in particular in the consultation space is that astrology becomes dialogical it becomes a conversation between the practitioner and the client um where those broad strokes and are are worked out into finer details um Mm -hmm. in in a way that brings deeper understanding to both the practitioner and the client absolutely absolutely one uh a quote that i happily um borrowed from darby costello who i think is incredible um in a way that is so opposite from from uh, my personal practice um, is like, I know how it works up there, but I need you to tell me how it works down here. Right. And right. it's like, I can tell you, I can tell you what's happening with, with the technical 
um, acumen of a sage, I can tell you what's happening up there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like, but that don't mean jack shit if I don't know if I don't get the fine points from you. So anyway, right? Um, and when so, you and when you as a, an astrologer make assumptions about my life and my experience, sure. very dangerous territory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, and also like, I don't know. I think some of the most um, serendipitous moments I've ever had as a practicing astrologer. Um, as a counseling astrologer is the moments where I'm talking in broad strokes they're filling out the fine points as they pop up in our conversation mm-hmm. and then I say oh you know um, you know looking at this uh, for whatever reason I feel like you might be a um, I don't know a realtor and them going wait how did you know that and I'm like oh mm. I, I didn't really know I'm just kind of riffing on I don't know like, yeah. like those moments are really cool because then it's when the astrology like comes al- you know the, the if the astrology comes live I often say <clears throat> that in order for all art and astrology to be good um, you have to have two things style and substance or you could say style and technique mm-hmm. um, and and the thing that's so tricky and I think where we can get stuck where I try not to get stuck myself but I should say rather is that technique, um, technique is great, right? Technique is wonderful. Be sure you're on your chops. If you're an astrologer or someone who is practicing or someone who is, uh, strives to be, know that like you have a responsibility to be on your chops with your technique, right? Yeah. Also remember that style is what gives technique context. And without mm. style, the technique is is um, uh, cold, um and it just feels lifeless and so um have both but it's it's really really nice when you start to see um i know your client's eyes light up because you're 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 uh having a dialogue um with my words if i if i may say really quickly i'm just reminded of Demetri george's volume one um Mm -hmm. and she talks about this kind of distinction which you just mentioned of art and science Sure. You know how like she spends several hundred pages talking about the science of, you know, the lunar cycle and the synodic mm-hmm. cycles and all these things that you have to factor in. Um, and then it comes down to like, well, you also need to car- cultivate the art as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because on the last episode um, I talked about in the last sun episode, um, which I did with Sam Reynolds he we talked about a consult that he gave me where basically uh he had one of those feelings that he couldn't necessarily um you know you can't necessarily quantify or talk about okay this technique says this and it's an interesting thing i don't know uh, the the sun's connection with the like occult knowledge and divination uh i don't know if it's just because y- y'all are both scorpio sons but mm. you're you're both bringing up this thing of there's an art, there's a science, and then there's like this secret third thing, yeah, called intuition or the divinatory kind of impulse or you know what have you that just 100%. comes through as well. One hundred percent. There's a um, who is it? Uh, Ann Carson, who says um, that there is uh, that Eros puts us in a and not like Eros the god or the asteroid, but like Eros as an energy that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that the erotic, one might say, um, creates a triangulation and that that triangulation um, 
is always the lover, the beloved, and the space in between them. Mm. Um, and that union would be annihilation is another thing she says later in that beautiful, beautiful book, which is um, Eros the Bittersweet. Um, but that um, that you're right, there are these three distinct points. There's art and there's science and there's a space in between. And mm. I think that as um, humans and people, um, there are a multitude of uh, wonders to be found when you choose to be the space mm. um, as opposed to just the art or just the science, um, which is really, really, I think, profound and remarkable. I think that it's funny that you mentioned that Sam brought up this the divinatory prowess with which Scorpio is just moving the world because I find um, I think one of the ways that someone described Scorpio to me in my earlier time of being um, uh, 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 in my studies because they said that Scorpios just have a sense for what's been buried in the garden. Mm. And they, with the excitableness of a child, will dig up whatever's down there and go, look, I knew it. There was a, a skeleton down there. Mm. Meanwhile, mom is screaming. Dad is horrified. The police are like, how did that get there? And you're just like, look at this thing I found. Right. Um, I distinctly remember being in my in my youth, being on a train. And we, my friend and I were going back home from, I think we went to the beach. We were on the trolley. We're going back home and we're sitting across from this woman we'd never met. And we were kind of casually having conversation. And I just, I, I just, I don't know what came over me, but I look at her and I said, it's okay. They know they won't, they're not gonna, they're not gonna look through your purse. We know there's weed mm. in there. And her eyes got bright as and she was like, how did you know there was weed in here? And I was like, I literally have no clue. I was just talking. Mm. Um, I was just speaking out loud. Or there was another time where this is kind of embarrassing. This is, this is a perfect example. So like Scorpio is digging out skeletons on accident. Um, where I was at a, a, a family dinner um, <laughs> with some family. And we're like all having a good time, passing around the food, do, 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 do. And I look across at my at my brother's girlfriend and I look at her and I say, um, wouldn't that be so funny if you were pregnant? And then hand her the plate and then <laughs> we just keep going. My brother takes me outside and says, so we're literally in T minus 15 minutes announcing to the entire family that Kim was pregnant. How the fuck did you know that Kim was pregnant? I said, I literally, no thoughts, just vibes. Me being mm -hmm. the space, right? The space between art and science where I just do weird score things. But it's wow. like, I don't know. One, one thing I tell, one thing I tell Scorpios, um, like writ large, like, like just because you can dig, just because you know it's down there, mm -hmm. doesn't mean you need to bring it up. <laughs> right. It doesn't mean you need to bring it to everyone's attention. Like I think Scorpios by and large um, are... Uh, they're just like really like for me personally and like an ethical like oh space where like people are on there you know when people get on there like you know you know i just tell how it is i tell the truth well yeah but the truth is supposed to make people feel shitty about themselves like, the truth is supposed to make people feel um you know mm -hmm. terrible like uh, uh the truth to what end no to what end are you telling the truth yeah mm -hmm. well and to and like the truth without empathy is cruelty right and mm -hmm. so um and so like like I think it's you Scorpio's can get into really tricky positions where they may 
uh, as opposed to the introvert tricking positions where people say like, oh, this particular individual, this corporate individual in my life um, just tells it how it is and, and, mm-hmm. and they, they lay it to me straight. And it's like, I mean, yeah, but like also like, like let's move with empathy. Let's move with compassion. Mm. Um, um, you see these bitches suffering. Let to let them suffer less, please. Um, yeah. And so yes, but there is there is that um, that 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 Scorpio piece that like I think as I've as I've gotten older, I've become a mature Scorpio. I know as a kid I did it all the time, um, and then as a young adult, uh, again all all vibes, no thoughts. The filter is stronger. Um, <laughs> but, but back in the day, it certainly was not. Mm. Yeah. So that's really interesting i mean i feel like you're just speaking your chart in a lot of ways and so i want to ask a particular question and hopefully break that down a little bit but sure um for all libra risings scorpio is the second whole sign house and the second Mm -hmm. whole sign house is associated with your possessions your wealth the ways that you self-resource yourself to kind of uh, allude to diana rose harper's work where she talks about first and the second um Mm -hmm. You have, so in traditional rulership, Mars rules Scorpio and mm-hmm. you have Mars perhaps quite slow because the, there's this trine relationship between, yeah, there's the, the trine relationship between the sun and Mars. And when the sun is in a trine relationship to the outers, mm-hmm. those outers are around their station, whether it's the yeah. direct station or the retrograde station. So they're slow in movement more or less. And you have Mars right on the MC. So like it's in this place of real prominence in the world. And so I guess the question I want to ask, and then hopefully we can kind of break down what is more about what does Scorpio mean? What does the sun mean? The Mars placement. But do you find that this is kind of like this ability to look someone in the eye and be like, I know this about you, like, to be able to dig up those skeletons, do you, do you find that as a self res like a, a resource for yourself, or mm. how would you kind of contextualize that ability? Um, and this might speak to the <laughs> the the very slow about to retrograde um, Mars and Cancer of it all, but I would say it is a very. Um, mm, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna come back to that answer. Okay. By I talk about the sun for a brief moment. Cool. There's a wonderful essay. You can all look it up if you if you like to read, want to read it, called Seen by Annie Dillard. If you look it mm-hmm. up on Google, there's a, a, I mean, not even a few links down, there's a PDF for it for free. And in this uh, brilliant essay, they discuss or, or elucidate on the merits of seeing um and and the ways in which nature plays this kind of now you see it now you don't game um mm-hmm. this sort of hide and seek if you will and i can't help but thinking about the sun mm. um when while reading that essay and just thinking about the sun and the sun's relationship to um um mm, the sun's relationship to or rather how we how we use the sun to describe sight right how we mm-hmm. use the sun i mean in all the seven planets right to describe to describe um um you know what's being lit up what's being made visible what's being made known to us and what's interesting to me about the sun and scorpio for me right being the luminary that's not in the sector of my own chart because i have an chart um mm-hmm. is that it's a it's a ability if you will 
that works when I don't want to know. Mm. It's not an ability. Like I wish, and I, I'd be curious uh, for other folks and other people. Um, I'd be curious, like other Scorpios who who the sun is is their sect light. Um, I'd be curious to hear them if if that is the opposite for them. But for me, it's when I don't want to know. It's mm. when I'm just moving through the world. Um, um, and then I just, I just um, say something like there's a, it's funny, there was a Twitter or a tweet someone made, uh, it was an episode of The View and Whoopi Goldberg, another famous Scorpio, um, says uh, they're in the middle of a conversation, they're talking about, I don't even think they were talking about pregnancy, but she looks across the table and she goes, are you pregnant? Oh, yeah. And the, and the, the, the ghost was like, I'm, I'm Whoopi, I'm sorry, what? She's like, I'm so sorry, that was such a crazy ask on national television. But like it's like it's it's more like that than it is like Trinity in the Matrix trying to you know learn how to fly a helicopter. Like it's it's more like that, and I, it's when it's I more of like off. a more of like a distraction or an intrusion than necessarily a welcome it's, insight. Yeah, I mean it's not. I here's the thing. I wouldn't even go as far as they're not. They and I'm curious. I'm curious if my Mercury in Sagittarius was on like zero degrees. Yeah, I, like, I definitely want to talk about that. <laughs> like, like, and if you are someone who agrees with the five degree rule on house cusps, um, um, uh, then I think my Mercury said, I think my Mercury in Sagittarius, while it certainly is um, fiery and enigmatic, I also think it's doing some scorpionic things too. Because mm. it's so close to home, I think it's like it's. I don't think it's complete. I don't think my Mercury in Sagittarius is as dry um, yet. I think it's still. I think it's still getting some of that scorpionic wetness. But mm. um, um, it's not so much that they're distractions as much as they're like suggestions. Mm. Um, and and then people and then and then in blurting those suggestions out, people go, "Oh, yeah, 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 Kim is pregnant." You why I. I, I I don't know how you just randomly said that at our sushi dinner night right before, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's, 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 um, there's, a, there's a, in that essay that I mentioned earlier by Annie Dillard, she, she says that there's two ways of seeing that it's like walking around again, she wrote this in the eighties. So like think eighties time, um, there's two ways of seeing, um, and there's one kind of, well, there's two ways of seeing the first way of seeing is like walking through the world with a camera. Mm-hmm. And the second way of seeing is walking through the world without a camera. And that when I walk through without a camera, I have these experiences and these moments that flash like silver in my body and print onto my gut. Mm. And being a Scorpio feels like that. Mm. <laughs> it feels like that. Those moments feel like that. Where, <laughs> um, in fact, and then she would go on to say later in the essay, that there's another kind of seeing, this second kind of seeing that involves a letting go, this um, sense of surrender. And it's when I am surrendering myself to the unknown that um, I'm like, oh, look at that thing in the dark. <laughs> I didn't know that was, I didn't, I didn't really know that was there. I didn't really realize the significance of, yeah, da, 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 da. but mm-hmm. that's how that kind of right works. On. Yeah. And to just bring in for people who are maybe newer students or what have you, like the idea of sect and how Mm -hmm. sect functions sect basically means whether the sun is above the horizon or below the horizon. If it's above the horizon, it's a day chart. If it's below the horizon, it's a night chart. Um, The sun's motion creates the sect of the chart. Mm -hmm. The moon's motion is an independent of sect. If it's a night chart, the moon can be above or below the horizon, but 
the the sun being below or above or below the horizon kind of creates the sect of the chart. And an interesting thing with night charts is that the sun is always below the horizon. So in that location where the birth is occurring, there's darkness. So mm-hmm. there's not a, necessarily a clarity of sight or a clarity of light. Um, there is any light that the moon brings that illuminates things, but people, you know, I think Jason Holly has this great kind of talk about sect where he talks about the difference between day and night consciousness, um, which I really, appreciate, and just like the kind of singularity and clarity that comes with the day because of the sight that's provided uh, in comparison to the kind of diffuse chaotic nature of night, because Mm -hmm you can only see the edges of things and the impressions of things by the moon's light. And even that can be kind of elusive or, um, you know, confusing or what have you. There's a chaos to it. There's a, there's a, um, a unity to it because things are not separate things. They're all kind of coming together and shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of say that, um, since you brought up sect, I, um, I almost hesitate to bring this up only because I don't want to jinx it, but I, my notes on my, on my corkboard are staring at me. Um, so maybe I should bring it up, but I'm currently writing an essay um, called God did not make the dark. Mm. Um, and, um, and yeah. one of the things that I talk about it, one of the things that I, I mention is that um, uh, God didn't make the dark. Uh, God, uh, and neither did the devil, uh, right in, in Christian lore, um, that in fact darkness was already there, mm-hmm. and all God did was make a separate thing and then divide those things. And I think that's an important distinction to make because in Christian puritanical uh, uh, uh thought that the darkness um, or this notion of darkness is something that is supposed to be evil or murky or, or, or uncertain. Right. Um, And while I think that, uh, while I think that um, um, uh, I agree with the uncertainty part, but the evil part is where I I take pause. Um, There's a Mm. a novel by um, Robert Jones Jr. called the prophets, which is a, a neo, a neo slave narrative that is, uh, exceptional. Um, it is. It is about two enslaved um, men who fall in love with one another, or not really. They're already in love. It's really like how their love influences this entire plantation they live on, mm-hmm. or um, and it's quite a fascinating novel. Anyway, um, toward the end, uh, this character is talking to another um, enslaved African character and says, "Don't be afraid of the dark. That's what you're made of." Mm. Um, and and I think that, you know, earlier this year, I was having a bit of a, like, um, I know I was probably like my, my usual every three month existential crisis. It's like, well, what's the point? Why are we here? What are we doing? Um, and, um, and I just, I, I was reading a book. I didn't finish it called Call Me Zebra by, um, oh, I'm forgetting the author's name, but it's a, it, it's a great novel. But one of the, um, one of the, a, a quote that got me out of my funk from that particular book was, I'm going to butcher the quote, but um, um, essentially she says, what is the, what is the point um, of being here and seeing all this bloodshed and seeing all this darkness Um, Mm -hmm. and, and the response that this um, uh, 
figure gives her is that it starts to articulate it. And mm. I went, whoa. Yeah, I think, I think my work in the world. Um, I don't think I have one, I think I have multiple, unfortunately. Um, but I think my work in the world um is to, you know, I I I jokingly say when something goes awry is, you know, it's not my job to know everything. I think it's my job to burn bright in the void of uncertainty. <laughs> um, mm. And I think that that is, um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm usually joking and usually something something fucked up happened when I say that. But um, it, I do think that there is something about, and, I, and it might be the night part of it all, um, that there is something for me personally, and maybe other folks feel this way too, but there is something about having to articulate the dark mm. um, that is very important to me that I'm not really interested or I mean I'm not I would say I'm not completely interested but like I'm not mm, I'm curious and I think this is where the, also the Scorpio piece kind of ties in I am curious about what's happening over there in the shade more than I am yeah. about what's happening over there in the in the in the the vastness of it all um, mm-hmm. Which I think also leads to like Scorpio paranoia, where you think everyone and everything is up get you. Um, <laughs> um, that that is a, a, a true and a real thing. But um, but uh, when I think about the sun, for example, when I think about Scorpio, um, and I th- again I think about like my son not being the sect leader, um, the dark acts for me acts as a foreground that holds the light together. Um, and I would be curious if other Scorpius felt the same way. Um, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I feel like I took a, I took us on a road that we weren't trying to go. <clears throat> Absolutely. No, I, I think it totally answered the question, although I can't even remember what the question was mm-hmm. at this point. But um, We love Mercury and Sagittarius. We're talking about the sun, um, my sun in Scorpio, Mars and Cancer, and this uh, yeah. knowledgeability. That it's, it's, it's a, it's a, um, I don't know. I also think Mars and Cancer. I mean, I have Mars and Cancer on them in heaven in the 10th. Um, and I, I lovingly say that my Mars and Cancer is like, we have nothing to lose. And then my son is mm-hmm. like, no, girl, stop. Yes, no, no. Look look at the second. Look at everything that's down here. All of this, we could lose that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the, their trying relationship um, in a nutshell. Um, um, also, the Pluto piece is just crazy. Um, but um, something that's interesting, we were talking about relocated charts earlier. Every time I'm in uh, the Iberian Peninsula, um, um, I believe if I'm not mistaken, my, um, uh, I, uh, my relocated chart, I become a Sagittarius rising, which is interesting. Um, and that puts, um, that puts, uh, all of my, all of my, um, sorry, Libra goes to the 11th, right? Scorpio goes to the 12th. And every time I'm there, um, speaking of like Scorpio and money and like a, a more like a, a literal thing. Every time I'm there, there is a, um, I, I take a personal hit to my second house finances in a way that's always unexpected. That is very um, 12th housey. Um, um it is kind of remarkable. I mean, I visit there often enough. 
um, that I just go and expect. It's like my offering to the to the to the country. Um, I go there and I expect that I'm going to lose, you know, um, you know, five hundred dollars or whatever, um, um, through no fault of my own. Um, and it's just it's anyway. The I don't know what made me think of that, but because you brought up the second and personal resources and self resources, and how there is this, um, there is this. Um, I don't know, when I think about Mars in Scorpio as compared to Mars in Aries, a Mars in Scorpio quote I say often is um, knowing when to leave may be the smartest thing that anyone can learn, go. Um, and my finances certainly feel that way. That, that mm. it's, it's often finding this balance between, um, to answer your question, your earlier question about the self-resource and the ability, that the the there's always this sort of um, teeter-totter where I have to um, ask myself, uh, when do I need to let this resource go? Mm. Knowing in a, the most water way possible, but this resource is going to come back to me. Um, but when do I have to let it go? And I I find that when I'm in places where all of that second house stuff shifts into a relocated 12th, um, I do find that the resources are leaving me, um, whether I want them to leave or not. But um, but yeah, Barcelona, um, love being their favorite city in the world. But um, but it certainly uh, comes with a price. Um, uh, uh, seeing, seeing comes at a pearl of great price. That's usually my wallet. Mm. Yeah, so with, you know, talking about seeing and the sun's association with sight. I'm just curious to hear more thoughts about what you think or like what you've seen the sun meaning astrologically. Mm. And then a little bit more mm -hmm. about like what you feel like it means for you. Like what, what is, what does it mean for you to for the sun to rule the 11th, you know, for each rising sign, the sun rules a different house and that's going to mean that the sun has a different relationship to a different topic in the life. Mm -hmm. Um, and the sun also rules your lot of fortune. So I'm just curious if you can share some sun thoughts for us. Of course. Um, I think uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely barring this um, idea from Jennifer Drame, um, that the, the sun is often pegged with being the center of attention, with being um, um, gluttonous for being seen, which is I, I has always been kind of curious to me as someone who like, you know, steps outside and looks at the sun, and I'm like, I don't think anyone is having that kind of relationship with the, like the sun proper. So I don't know why. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know why we make that association in that particular way. But something that Jennifer Drama said in a podcast, um, I believe it was uh, Kira Tabor's um, astrology podcast on fire, is that she said that the sun is so generous with its light, mm. and um, that when we talk about the sun, we're often talking about courage and strength and identity and wanting to be seen again. Uh, and I think all those things can be true and are true at times. But I think one thing we forget to talk about is how generous the sun is with itself. Mm. Um, for me, with the sun um, ruling the 11th and in my second, right? Which for me, you know, I think from a traditional standpoint, right? Like the second is the house of livelihood. Uh, one might say where you build your life. I take that further, um, even further, and I say that the second house is the house of imagination, and I don't mean like draw a picture imagination, although um, I think it can certainly include that, but <laughs> imagination in the way that the imagination is the inception of how we build the world around us, mm -hmm. and that uh, I believe it was 
um, oh, what's her name? Adrian Marie Brown. I believe it was Adrian Marie Brown who said that we live in imagination warfare, that someone else imagined the world that we currently live in. Mm. And we, well, maybe I shouldn't say we, because uh, I don't want to speak for you, but like <laughs> there are moments where we brush up against that imagination. And, mm. um, and, and I think sometimes they're brushing up against, um, looks like resistance looks like people being too much looks like people being uppity i think other times that means that we're imagining a world where we do exist in right like i think a great example is like you know back in a million years ago i used to work at disney and they have very specific rules i mean i was in entertainment and so they were already like like the company by and large has really specific rules about how you can present yourself while Mm -hmm. working there um i think some people would be shocked to see how strict those are, in fact, they have the thing, this thing called the Disney Look Book, and it literally mm. tells you. I mean, it's a huge. I, I they send it to you digitally, but I've seen the book in print, and I'm like, this is this could be an Oxford Dictionary. This is crazy, oh. and it literally tells you every. I mean, from like how many inches your hair can be from your ear if you are a man who has curly hair, such as an Afro or whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. it is like the mm-hmm. way that your beard has to be trimmed. Like a page that says. Here is the paper you need to give to your barber when you go get a trim because it must wow. be this. It's very, it's very strict. Um, and um, and recently, I think it was in two thousand twenty, no, two thousand nineteen. One of the things about the Disney Look Book was that you couldn't have um, locks. Mm. Um, you could do braids, you could do cornrows. That was also, but that was even that was pretty new when I, by the time I was working for them. But you couldn't do these things. Now, those kinds of rules didn't really affect me again because I was in entertainment. So I was either in a hat or a wig. So, like, my, mm-hmm. my natural hair was never showing. So it wasn't a problem. Although my hair was never in um, dress code. I was never, I was never Disney look with my hair. Um, <laughs> um, and that's fine. Um, but in 2019, California, um, um, right, and just sorry to back to the point about like just in imagination warfare. Like someone in someone's imagination, locks were not appropriate for mm. this very imaginable place. Right, um, that locks were not appropriate for um, um, this company that wants to present as the most professional, the most on their game, the most mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2019, California came up with an act called the California Crown Act, where basically they said that um, um, it is uh, not just illegal, but you are um, practicing racial discrimination by saying mm-hmm. you can't wear your hair naturally or you can't wear your hair in these particular styles. And the Disney lookbook got changed because of okay. that. Um, and so like. I think that's a great example of like this imagination warfare where like mm-hmm. me wearing a me wearing a protective hairstyle um or rather your connotation of this particular black hairstyle being dirty being mm. associated with um you know uh weed smokers and and people you have ostensibly um uh deemed as degenerates um um, when it's literally just hair like that is brushing up against like this my imagination which one might say is the black imagination or an example of that Mm. is brushing up against the white imagination in this particular way and um i have to now rely on or i don't have to but like um i can wear braids at work now not because there was a compromise with these two imaginations, but because the law got in the way, I said, no, that's actually racist. You can't do that. Mm. Um, which is like crazy. Anyway, I, 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 the bricks we use to build the world, the right. mortar 
came from our imagination. Well, I would say our, but came from somebody's imagination, right? And so for me, the second house involves that as well. And that, you know, in, I have a, a consult called um, uh, I Won't Grow Up or Growing Sideways, where I uh, look at, it was just kind of this like ongoing experiment from, from 20, oh, was that 2021 when I did that talk? 2021, where I try to say, if the chart can represent human experience, I want to see how the chart can represent queerness. Let's go on this mm. exploration and see how. And um, I look at the second house particularly for that. Also, there's just, I mean, some really fascinating history about the second house um, making money and queer life um, mm. and how when, um, you know, during the lavender scare, they went to extreme lengths to make sure that gay and lesbian people were not working. Mm. That the um, attorney general of the, or, or rather the, I'm forgetting the, the language proper, but like the person responsible for talking about like health and labor in the country, um, that they said, it, it, if you want a healthy America, you need to fire these people from their job. Um, mm. um, I'm forgetting where that quote comes from proper, or I'm, I'm forgetting which attorney general said that, but um, I'm quoting this from Eric Stravini's, um The Homosexual versus the United States, which is an incredible book if you want to look at that stuff. But there's just this historical legacy on, um, there's this really fascinating legacy about queer folks and their livelihoods, like being taken out of their livelihoods, but also engaging in livelihoods that deal with imagination and culture, mm. um, um, which is also really fascinating to me. Anyway, um, the second house, uh, I think, holds all of that and all of those things. And so to have your son there, I think, is to have a way of seeing or a way of knowing or a way of perceiving the world that says, how can I engage my imagination in such a way that means I'm living in a world that feels a little bit more insert sign, right? right. Um, um, insert house ruler, right? For me, I find that, um, I don't know, I mean, it's something I, something I, I say on a pretty consistent basis is that your care and your ability to care stops at the boundary of your imagination. Mm. right that like back in oh what was that well i mean it's been kind of well it's that's a long time it's been happening for a long time but like um there was a there's a book by lisa duggan called sapphic slashers and it talks about the rise of um like the concept of the concept of the word lesbian rising in america in the south um its relationship to violence and american modernity right L simple read and mm -hmm. um and and in the book she describes all of these um queer women going to court because one was either physically assaulting their partner or emotionally assaulting their partner or psychologically rather and the amount of cases that were thrown out because the judges said and i i quote we don't know who the man is mm. and a relationship between two women must be perfect no violence could occur because women aren't violent so i'm mm. throwing this case out and it's like, whoa, uh, how you could sit there and look at a woman battered in your courtroom and say, I don't know, uh, my imagination does not have room for you. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I will not provide the care that I'm supposed to be providing to mm -hmm. me is insane. Yeah. Um, it's a very, it, I mean, it's, yeah, please. Re it reminds me too of just the damage of pedestaling 
or pedestalizing Ooh. rather um and what it says about people's ideas of gender sure. that women can't be violent and that mm-hmm. men are inherently violent which statistically is somewhat is like there's truth to it statistically you know like large mm-hmm. amounts of violence that occurs or is per- perpetuated by men um but that's yeah there's an interesting thing there and and i think to speak to you know what you're saying the limits of your ability to care action mars care cancer you know you have mars and cancer in the 10th mm-hmm. is your ability you know the limit of your imagination you talk about sun and scorpio um and so it feels very fitting astrologically mm-hmm. and one other thing i just want to comment on before before you you know I'll let you continue is um, talking about, you know, this whole thing that you talked about, about imagination um, and how imagination creates the world. Uh, It it reminds me of the relationship again, to go back to sect Mm -hmm. of uh, the relationship between the the sun and Jupiter and the sun and Jupiter Mm. being of the same sect because Jupiter, you know, to kind of use the language that Ari, Ari Felix puts forth is like, the creation of consensus reality. Uh, and so, you know, in the the Disney example, you speak mm-hmm. particularly to the role that law plays uh, in the way that things must be reimagined. Um, and so that feels very, like a very Sun-Jupiter kind of relationship. 100%. I mean, I think Jupiter, um, you know, when I'm explaining sect um, and sect light and sect mates to my clients, I often say, Think about all of these planets like a light bulb and when you turn or a smart light even. And when you turn this planet on, its light has a very particular effect. Mm. And that when the sun, you turn the sun's light on and the sun says, what do I know? What do I know that I don't know? Right. Um, and what, what don't I know? Like what? what uh, who is it? Uh, 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 Rumsfeld, the the attorney general, the awful attorney general, pushes the attorney general, I believe, who said, "Yeah, Donald you know, Rumsfeld." Have, yes, unknown have, unknowns, etc. Yes. Uh huh. We have known yeah. knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns, and that is what happens with the sun. Turns like the sun says, "I know that there's a book called War and Peace. Mm. I don't know what it's right book there. What, yeah." <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what's in book one, book two, book four, or book five. Um, but I do know I have, I personally have read book three. Mm. <laughs> um, I don't know if there, uh, there might be fan fiction about war and peace. I don't know it. I wouldn't be able to pluck it off a, pluck it off a, a bookshelf. Mm-hmm. um an unknown unknown right that's what the sun does the sun says what do we know Ooh. the sun says what do we know um what do we know what's there right jupiter turns its light on or you turn jupiter's light on and jupiter says okay now that we know what's there what's possible mm. what can we do how can we um without getting into the weeds of it all um I think we often talk about excess and Jupiter in a way that I find um, my brain saying disturbing, which is a dramatic word, but that's not mm. that's not the word I want to use. 
Um, my brain wants to use it, but that's not the word I want to use. Um, in a way that I think is puzzling, because um, when you look back at the tradition, and I'm someone who's interested in like, mm, like Demetri George, I'm interested in the development of significations. Like, how did we get here? Right. Um, 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 how did how, how did we get from from children to creativity regarding the fifth house, for example? Right. Like I can guess, but like I want to see that development, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we look at the significations of Jupiter, which if you have not done that through different traditions, I highly suggest it because it, it does give you a really beautiful like word bank to pull from because it's, it's just some very beautiful imagery about Jupiter. But um, but but the one that I think is most striking to me um, is the is the signification about temperance that Jupiter rules temperance. So how do we get from temperance to excess? I have mm-hmm. many thoughts about how that happened. Um, um, Meg Kane wrote a lovely. Um, um, uh, I, I I have to call it essay because I think when you say essay, people get scared. But like a uh, uh, short form writing certainly. Um, on uh, it's called too much um, and and the the notion of being too much and that's relationship to Jupiter. Um, but but I bring that up to say another Adrian Marie, Adrian Marie Bronco, which is so funny because I'm not the biggest fan of them, but they're they're popping up a lot um, in my brain. Is that you? It is imperative that you have a relationship with the word enough. Mm. And I think when Jupiter turns its light on, it asks you. Is there enough to build mm. um, with what we know is there? Mm-hmm. Um, um, is there enough? Um, and if there isn't enough, what can we do? Like Jupiter, you know, there, there's that moment. But anyway, um, um, there's something about Jupiter and enough. Like I think that when we talk about, I, I feel like these debates happen once every three months where someone debates like which planet rules capitalism and right and, uh, which is so funny and and people you know <laughs> say saturn and people say other planets and i kind of just um whatever um but um it's so funny say- to think about that because i remember that i had a take when that last time that went around but i don't even remember what my take was at this and point I'm, <laughs> and i'm sure I'm sure I had to take two. I also, I mean, for me, like American Sagittarius, um, in the most obnoxious way, um, is that I have to remind myself, or rather, I will see something, get so fired up about it, and if I, if in in a 10-second window, I will be so cold about it that I won't send a thing. And so my brain is remembering having thoughts about it typing something out and then going, oh no i don't care anymore and then mm-hmm. <laughs> just hitting delete but um but geo jupiter's name often gets popped up in there but like i just i again would love to know when jupiter turns its light on jupiter says what needs to be emancipated mm-hmm. jupiter says where is um uh, uh, jupiter says where where do pe- where do we need relief we know what's there right. Right. Now, where do we need to apply relief? And when I say relief, um, I mean it in like, I don't know, to me, compassion is such a Jupiter word, right? Mm. Um, 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 empathizing with the suffering of other people um, and then bringing relief to those people. So how we got from relief to too much, I don't know. 
Um, but there, there, there is something about Jupiter that is, um, I don't know, as a, as a black queer, whatever, human in the world, um, there, there are, there's a perspective of Jupiter to me that, um, that I think some people are missing, um, or not missing, but I think that, um, I don't know, is worth, uh, exploring and keeping in mind what we talk about, um, too much, like, they're, like, in a, <laughs> I, I often wonder, uh, is that Jupiter or do you just have a bad relationship with enough, mm. with the word enough? Um, it's something I often wonder. Um, it's an important question to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anywho, please continue. Yeah, you anyway, we, we have to um, wrap up, I think, probably in the next 15 minutes or so. So I okay. do want to ask you one other question, but to, to pivot a little bit. Um, instead of talking about kind of like sect relationships with the sun, I do want to talk about uh, the sun's relationship to Mercury and Venus, because Mm -hmm. those planets are those that are kind of tethered to the sun's motion in a way. Mercury only moves about, I forget how many degrees it is, but it's typically, it can only get like one sign away. Mm -hmm. Venus can get two signs away, but um you know, like the sun and Venus can never have a square because yeah, yeah, yeah. they can't, they can't get that far away. Um, yep. I'm forgetting the, the, the maximum elongation degrees. Yeah, right Venus, now, is, but... Venus is 48, I believe. Um, and Mercury mm-hmm. is, I'm forgetting. Although what's funny is I'm forgetting Venus. I'm forgetting what Mercury's is, but I, I remember in a consult, um, a consult, a client asked a question, or rather, it was one of those like classic moments where you get in the chart, you get in the thing, they check their chart. Yeah, this is fine. We're mm-hmm. going through the thing, and then they look at the chart and go, "Wait a minute, that time's wrong." And I'm like, Wah! "Yeah." Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't so wrong that we needed to stop the session and redo it. Although that's uh, of a pro tip, just always redo the session, just redo mm-hmm. it, just redo it, redo it, redo mm-hmm. it. Um, I did not redo it. Um, I said, "No, it's fine. I'll just calculate in my head." Anyway, they had asked me a really specific question about where their Mercury was seven days prior to their birth. And what I had in front of me was wrong. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, you know what? Give me one moment. I'm going to turn off my camera and just figure that out. Give me one moment. I forget to. And they just got to see me go, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then I looked down and they're staring at me. (laughs) Crazy. They're watching crazy. the work happen. Yeah, they are watching the work happen. It was one of those like expectation versus reality. Like the expectation is that like <laughs> astrology was like magic and potions yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And in reality, it's literally just me counting on my fingers like I am in third grade. Right. <laughs> but sorry, so please funny. continue. I would have counted out loud too. So yeah. <laughs> I feel feel that. But I, I'm particularly interested, and we've talked about this uh on Twitter actually, in the case of uh John Berger's chart which is like i think a figure that we're both kind of oh, interested in i love john berger uh, but you have a similar kind of situation I, I mean i think about you know if we think about the sun as kind of like imagination you, you can think about mercury as kind of communication or how that how the sun is like articulated and then mm-hmm. i think of venus as like values in some ways there, there's a lot of different you know we're, we're very we're compacting these things down but when i when i see these um planets in different signs it communicates to me that there's kind of uh, some kind of eclectic element at play or mm-hmm. maybe a discontinuity. Uh, and so I think I, I find, especially between Mercury and the sun, when they're in different signs, 
you know, it's like the the quality of mind is a certain way, and then how that can be articulated uh, is different. And I, I think that that's not necessarily a negative thing. I think it can be a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, with the, the Sun in Scorpio, this kind of really deep, penetrating thought, and Mercury in Sagittarius, this kind of really big external uh, communication. So I'm just curious if you could tell us a little bit about how you feel like you know, your, your Mercury and your sun relate or your Mercury, sun and Venus, if you feel like something comes to mind there as well. Totally. So like uh, in a, in a like base way, I often, <laughs> I, I've never said this out loud, but this is an EY inner thought, um, but I, uh, I often call Mercury and Venus, the sun's ball and the sun's chain because mm. they can't really ever get that far. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, when people, um, it, it was, I just remember like being a, a, a more, um, uh, uh, excitable and eager astrologer, um, <laughs> um, which is earliest in my studies and people say like, oh, my sense went wrong. I'm like, well, it can only be in one or two places. Like just, just so you know, excited to have made that correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think, uh, like visually speaking, if the sun is like the king, if we take that, that particular metaphor, um, the Mercury seems to be its herald, right? Mm. If you think about um, Brandy's, uh, Whitney Houston and Brandy's Cinderella, it's like the it's like the prince needs to find a wife, or the whole kingdom will be ruined. The pe- what the people hear is the prince is giving a ball, right? And that's mm. Mercury. <laughs> that the sun has its own like specific agenda that is you know whatever whatever whatever. But Mercury is giving. Uh, Mercury is your Olivia Pope, right? It's your fixer. It's your it's spinning. Um, it's spinning this private information in a way that is makes it right common. That's actually one thing I love about Mercury. And something I think that mm, something I think that we it's easy to overlook in in delineating Mercury is that remember that like if we take uh, uh, who did it? I think it was Rotorius and then Chris Brennan. Um, Rotorius of Egypt uh, came up with like like uh, verbs, so to speak, with all of the different planets in these particular signs. And then Chris Brennan like flushed out, if I'm not mistaken. But mm-hmm. um, for Gemini, he gave argue. And for Virgo, he gave destabilize. And I think we often mm. take those verbs and run with them, but we forget to what end. That in Gemini, Mercury is argu- sorry, Mercury is arguing to make something common, which is to mm. say not cheap, but to make it accessible, right? Mercury is a socialist. Um, in <laughs> Virgo, she's destabilizing, not because she's trying to cause chaos, but to make it common, right? I believe it was um, King Louis the Fourteenth that had some really beautiful um, Virgo Scorpio things happening um, with Leo as well. And and um, I'm forgetting the chart off the top of my head, but what he what he his his big thing, his big um, you know contribution to art history, um, the performing art history rather, is that he made classical ballet common. Common. He co- he didn't he didn't codify himself, but he he made it a common practice that would eventually be codified, right? Um, though all that to say that Mercury's job, one might say, is to argue and destabilize with the hope or the means that it makes that thing that's arguing about and destabilizing common for everybody. And so that's what Mercury does, I think, in the chart. That Mercury takes the sun's message, the sun's um um you know longings right and then it makes those things common with with how it spins it then venus i think just um, really quickly i just wanted to share uh louis the 14th chart it's a beautiful chart interesting like you know jupiter in the first as well Mm -hmm. uh just like you 
but yeah, then the sun and sun and um Mercury and Virgo. Mm-hmm. With eleventh um, with the MC. Yep. And then that moon, Venus and Leo. Like he was no it's funny, he was known as Apollo the Sun King. And that mm. he um he he would have these ballets. In fact, it was um in the court at the time that a lot of these political debates and arguments were um were these were were actual dances. Now I wouldn't go as far as say challenge dances per se, but like you had to do um, you know, you had to do for my, my, my all my ballet fans out there, like you had to do a potato leg row to um to um um enact public policy. Um which would be fun if that had to be the metric with which we did things today. I think a lot of public policies wouldn't ever happen. Mitch McConnell would be out. He can barely speak. Not to get political, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, Mitch McConnell would be would be uh, yeah. Would, we we definitely of... wouldn't have a Jaren Jaren Jarenocracy or whatever yes. the term is. Yeah, yes, we certainly would. It'd be a younger um, man's game politics. Ex- exactly. Sorry, sorry. No, y'all. you're all good. You're all good. Um, but this chart, I know, is fascinating to me because of all of the things he did for ballet. I mean, of course, there was Carlo Blasis and, you know, the other people that codified ballet in a particular way. But a lot of the, like, the work that he did in, and all of these ballets he created, um, like, there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason French is the language we speak when we describe ballet mm. um, and how to do ballet. And that was because of him. And he, um, I mean, even as something as, as simple as, like I could go to, I could go to Japan. I don't speak a lick of Japanese, mm-hmm. and I could take a jazz class, and I would probably struggle a little bit because every jazz class is ordered in a really different way. It's really uh, like the old school teachers kind of do it in a really particular way, but like by and large, I could walk into any jazz class and expect something different. Mm-hmm. I could walk into any ballet class in the world. And it will be ordered in a really particular way wow. with a really particular sequence. It's like math. Math is the same in every language. So is ballet. Mm. Mm. It will, it is, it will, it will happen in a really particular way in a really particular sequence. And I don't even need to speak the language mm. in order to participate. And that is such a, I mean, let's talk about, let's talk about, you know, dance and imperialism. Um, but that, but that, is, that is also, I mean, such a mercurial thing. How do I make this thing common so that, um, I can, uh, I don't want to say flatten difference, but that I can make the playing field equal. And Mercury is a part of that. Um, I think Venus um, then makes that thing sweet, um, mm. whatever that might be, right? Like if 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 the sun says we need to continue the, the, the family line, um, you need to have a wife because you can't rule this place alone. And then Mercury takes that and says, the prince is giving a ball. Venus says, and there will be dresses and dancing mm-hmm. and music and all these sweet things venus sweetens the pot venus right like i think i think one of the things when we talk about venus and um or, or one of the things i wish i heard more when i observe people talking about venus is that remember that venus it, venus sweetens the deal mm-hmm. that venus gives us a reason to go because yeah. oh there's going to be a ball isn't enough right i need to know i need to know what's in it for me i need to know what mm-hmm. makes this experience rich and sweet and important Who's right. going to be um, there? Who exactly? <laughs> who's going to be there? Um, who's going to be there? And um, and all you know, all those kinds of things. And so, yeah. for me personally, I think um, and like in this um, vein or this idea of seeing um, and articulation. Because here's the other thing about seeing, and this is something that Andy Dillard says in that essay, which is fascinating to me, is that seeing is often described as a purely visual matter. 
but seeing is an articulatory matter as well. Mm. That if I don't articulate what I see, I do wonder if it happened or not. Mm. Right. I think that's why there's a book by Melissa Phoebos called Body Work. I think anyone who who writes should read that book. It's very short, very easy read. Um, but one of the things she the first chapter of the book is called In Praise of Navel Gazing. And she essentially her argument in that first chapter is that it is imperative that we write about our experiences truthfully and honestly. Um, um and especially if those experiences involve trauma, because mm-hmm. there is mm, Because, I don't know, un- trauma unarticulated. And I don't, when I say unarticulated, I don't mean like not published. I mean just trauma that we don't speak about or mm. speak to. Yeah. Um, that just stays in the brain um, with no words is really, really can be dangerous only because our brain in, a, in, a, in an earnest effort to protect us will um, tell us that that never happened. Right. Mm. I, think about, I think about some of my own traumas and the way... Uh, my memory has it almost feels like a dream yeah but i'm like no i know that that happened in fact there's a in um, a leverage discourse by roland bartz he has a, a section called exercising demons and what he says is to exercise a demon um and what what else would a demon be other than a demon of language is to write it out right mm-hmm. that you need to write out these things there's something that dies um there's something that dies when you write and the only person who can bring it back to life is the reader, right? The death of the author, birth of the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but that we have to, like when when things are tricky and difficult, you have to articulate them. Um, and there's something about the power that those things have over you that weakens when you do. Um, and and I don't know, that just seems really, really ripe to me. I, I don't know where I was going with that thought. But, um, but so anyway, seeing, seeing being a, a matter of articulation that like I have to articulate. There's a, a quote from the essay that I um I like it um that it she she says she does a whole I mean in the essay she talks about like blind people having just gained their sight mm. and how they describe the world around them which is really fascinating stuff to read um and one of the things she says is ah sorry all my things are falling out of my ears out of my desk um, one <laughs> no of the problem one, one of the things she says is um like a blind man at a baseball game I need a radio. Mm. And I think the same thing is true um, with the sun and Mercury. And again, I think Venus sweetens the deal that Venus gives through the white. Well, one of the things I'll say, pro tip, if you are an astrologer and you have something you're pushing, whether it's a new offering or a new workshop or a new whatever, um, I highly encourage you to suspend your, oh God, I need to make money. Oh God, I need to pay my rent. Oh God, I need to do that. While I'm trying to push the thing, I'll just suspend that for a moment. Mm. and think about what makes the sweet for the person I want to engage with this thing. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, people will show up yeah. um, because people want to know, and it's just human nature, what's in it for me. Right. And then once you figure out what that is, make it very easy for them to get to that thing. Don't make it, don't make it harder because they don't have user friction. Anyway, um, for me, how do I think that works? I think my son in Scorpio like you said is penetrating is um cares about intensity 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Mercury, um, right, if if Venus is one-on-one connection, Jupiter is abstract connection. I'm of course bringing up Jupiter because Jupiter rules Sagittarius, and that's where Mercury is. And they're in a mm-hmm. they're in a conversation with one other. And so I find that my Mercury, there's actually one of the reasons why I love John Berger, is that John Berger, and in some ways my own self in different ways. And just to make a note really quickly, his yes. book is called Ways of Seeing. Oh, yes, it is called The Ways of which Seeing. Which it sure is. Kind of assumes that there's a multitude of ways. Yes. Anyway. And that and that we have been um I mean earlier we were talking about uh before during this episode, we were talking about the being in an economy of the tension that mm-hmm. we're trying to get, um, that there's a there's a an economy of attention and we're trying to keep people's attention. So there's not enough content. There's more than enough content. It's what content is going to keep your attention. Right. And I think in a similar way, um, one of the things that John Berger um, implies is that we've been trained to see in a particular way. Right. And that there are like one of the things he thinks about, I think about this with Venus all the time is that he, he says um, we wanted to see, he's referring to visual art. Um, like paintings particularly we wanted to see women naked so we drew mm, them right. um and then we put a mirror in their hand and called that painting vanity mm-hmm. and i think about that in relationship to venus often yeah. when we talk about not just venus and and beauty and and, and the way we present but I, I think about it in the way of the mirror um and the glyph in particular and that like um what um what what are the ways, oh gosh, what are the ways that um, we are doing the same thing, right? Mm. With Venus, that that um, art world uh, has done with women and, 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 and all of this stuff. How have we taken a desire? Um, or where is this, this double standard happening where men wanted to see women naked, so they drew them naked, and then to distance themselves from that desire, they put a mirror in hand called it vain mm-hmm. um and by extension called all women vain right what, what are the ways in which we do that with venus if we're doing it at all sorry i have a post-it note um no problem um vanity as in so what i wrote was vanity as a sin equals vanity vanity as a sin right um equaling venus being crazy um are we being mm-hmm. anti-feminist by saying venus is a mirror is what i've done mm. um yeah just some thoughts about that too astrologically i think assuming the sextile as a weaker aspect because it's Mm. of the nature of venus Mm -hmm. and assuming venus as the lesser benefic and therefore her effects having uh a more transitory beneficence or Mm -hmm. less impactful yeah effects long term potentially to think about no one things to think about in a in a in a to that because I've that's something I've been reckoning or wrestling with for a while. Um, yeah, I'd love and... to because we actually, I actually have to wrap up. Unfortunately, okay. like you, I could talk to you all day, but no, unfortunately, totally. I have to go. So I'd love to hear if you have any any closing thoughts on the sun or, um, you know, just anything we're kind of talking about. If you want to tie any loose ends up, yes. Um, I think that the sun, um, two things are coming to mind first and foremost that um, the sun and Kazemi, we often think about the mm. sun and knowledge and the sun and knowing and, and all of that stuff. 
Um, but that we also forget that there's a darkness to the sun. And I don't mean darkness as an evil or bad or dark house or anything bad. I mean, a darkness like there is an unknowing piece to the sun. And that is Kazemi, right? Mm. That um, when a planet is in conjunction with the sun, um, there's a burning that happens. And, and I think it's important to know that burning hides what burns. Um, mm. And that even in the sun, there's, um, there is, is um, obscuring that can happen that we can still be blinded by light. Um, mm. The second thing, I think in a practical way, um, I think this might describe the dichotomy between night and day as well. Um, um, is that the sun identity is so important. Um, mm. And being affirmed in our identity is really, really important. Um, and also how it feels to be who you are, which is to say subjectivity, right? Which some might describe uh, objective objectivity and identity as a diurnal thing, maybe. And subjectivity um, as, the, um, uh, as a nocturnal thing, that the nocturnal part is so important. That the, mm -hmm. earlier I had said that style gives technique context the same thing can be said of identity and subjectivity. How it feels to be who you are is just as important and gives context to who you are. Um, and I think that um, I think that uh, uh, that might be a really interesting way or angle to think about. Oh, geez, to be thinking about the sun and think about um, um, its relationship to the night. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, those are my those are my closing thoughts. Amazing. Thank you so much, EY. EY, where can we find you? And is there anything you're working on that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, um, you can find me on, uh, for booking stuff, you can find me at www.letsandbodyheaven.com. Um, and uh, I can be found at EY Washington um, on Twitter and Instagram. I don't use Facebook. Um, um, but that's where I can be found. I'm currently, um, I also have a Substack. It's called nomorefaggots.substack.com. Mm -hmm. Um which is a, a, a clever nod to Wanda saying no more mutants. Um, and <laughs> um, and uh, I'm currently, like I said earlier, I'm working on an essay called uh, God Did Not Make the Dark. Um, and that should be coming out very shortly. I also do a lunar horoscope there called um, The Good, The Bad, and Everything in Between, um, where I talk about uh, the, the moon in a very mundane sort of way. Um, and then I do like a little missive, uh, monthly missive there. But yeah, you can um, uh, subscribe to that uh, via your email and it goes right into your inbox as soon as I post stuff. Amazing. Again, thank you, EY, so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you back. I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Of course, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. To support the show by donating or becoming a member, please visit my website, which is linked in the show notes. And please subscribe to the show wherever you listen. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. See those links in the show notes as well. If you have any questions or feedback on the show, please feel free to contact me via my website or email me at sbllhorary at gmail.com. In the show notes, you can also find links to astrologers and resources that we touched on in this episode. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next time.